No, the pews aren't back yet. <laughs> Although to, uh, to stretch the metaphor, I suppose I thought, you know, this place isn't uh, finished yet. It's incomplete. And maybe that's, that's, uh, that's us, right? We're not finished yet. We're incomplete. Um, so that's why we keep praying for the Lord to keep transforming us until that All Saints Day, that final resurrection when we will be complete. I was strolling the internet the other day and I came across an article called How to Make Money If You Hate People. <laughs> and so I had to read it, of course. Uh, not because I hate people, but I thought maybe it might include things like Hitman for the Mafia, um, electric chair operator, IRS agent, things like that. Okay, maybe that last one's unfair. But alas, it was about mundane things like uh, web-based freelance, freelance writer, pet sitter, blogger, uh, house cleaning, things like that. Um, let me just say that if you generally hate people, you generally just don't want to be around people because you can't stand them, then Christianity may not be your best choice for a religion. <laughs> because unlike some religions and forms of spirituality, Christianity is very communal, very relational. Um, God loves me, but I practice that love with each other. We practice our Christianity together. In the Apostles' Creed, we say that we believe in the communion of the saints. So what does that mean? Well, first of all, and many of you may already know this, in the New Testament, a saint is not an exceptionally amazing, near-perfect, finished person. A saint, according to the New Testament, simply means a Christian, a believer, a follower of Jesus. Paul will write a congregation, and he'll say, greet all the saints for me. That means grant everyone in the fellowship. In communion, communion means more than just the Lord's Supper that we serve usually about once a month. Communion in the broader sense, communion that means gathering, that we commune with one another. We gather together. We're in relationship with one another. And so we believe that someday in the great resurrection, we will once again all be gathered together. As I often say, we're all in this together. And that's actually a theological point that I'm trying to make. We commune with each other. Or we might say that someday we might get to go to the feast with the saints, feasting with the saints. Well, all of this uh, makes Christianity different from some religions. Religions that say believe in reincarnation, where you come back as either a higher being or a lower being, depending on how you behaved. Or you come back as a dog or cat or water buffalo or something, I don't know. But their understanding is very individualistic. There is me and there is God. Okay? But for us, there is God and then there is me and then there is our neighbor. Right? Those around us. We love God. God tells us to love ourselves, but also those around us. And it doesn't seem to give us a pass if we can't stand our neighbors. In Christianity, we are our brother's keeper. We also believe in the resurrection of the body, that somehow your uniqueness 
and the uniqueness of others, those you have loved and cared for, is not completely lost. That someday the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations, death itself, will be destroyed and be swallowed up forever. That the tears will be removed and we will once again all be together. And, the Bible says, then we get to have a really good party. We believe in the feasting of the saints. Scripture takes this communal idea and pushes it hard. Perhaps you have used, noticed that the New Testament uses family terms to talk about our relationship with each other. We're not friends in Jesus so much as we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And God is not an abstract concept, but our Father. Now, if we're just friends, I have options, okay? If we're just friends, I don't have to get together with you, all right? But if we're family, that changes it, right? It ups the ante. You may also have noticed at some time how much food is mentioned in the Bible, including this scripture from Isaiah. It says that death will be destroyed, all right, amen, good. But it talks about it within the context of a great meal, a banquet, a feast of rich food, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. Now, what does that have to do with what is basically atonement theology? Huh? What does eating have to do with our theological understanding of God and our relationship? All saints, I've been thinking a lot about the saints this week, especially ones I've known and loved. For some reason, I've been especially thinking about my mother and about when I was in college and I would come home from time to time. The poet Robert Frost says that home is that place where if you go there, they have to take you in. And there's a lot of truth to that, right? If I go to a stranger's home, they may or may not let me in. Probably not. If I go to a friend's home, they may or may not let me in. Maybe they will. But driving home from college, it never occurred to me, not even in the slightest, that my mom and dad would not take me in. Hmm? I didn't have that anxiety. Oh, they took me in last time, but maybe not this time. Huh? They would take me in. I didn't even have to think about it. I knew they would welcome me, that they would be glad to see me. And why? Because I was such a good, amazing 4.0 perfect student? No. <laughs> Not even close. And, you know, my parents, I could make them angry. They worried about me. They were mystified by me. I didn't always do the right thing. But I was their child. And they were my parents. I belonged to them, even when I wasn't perfect. With that in mind, we might do well to set aside the cultural stereotype of heaven where St. Peter stands at the gate like a bouncer to a nightclub, checking his list and checking it twice to see if he's been naughty or nice, whether you deserve to be taken in. But if it's true that God is our Father and we are God's beloved children, would he not welcome us into his heavenly home? Or do we have to be worthy before God could rejoice that we are there? If you think that, that's when you stop and you look at the cross. 
the reminder that we are not worthy, but we are still loved. We are still wanted. There is still joy to enter into. I would go home for several reasons, not least of which was that my mother would cook for me. I lived in an apartment in college, uh, not a dorm, and so I was learning how to cook for myself, which largely meant learning how to open cans. Can wrench style beans, you open that thing up, you throw it in the frying pan, you put some salt and pepper and garlic pepper on it, and uh, you've got a meal. I needed a real meal every once in a while. And so if I went home, maybe, maybe my mother might make meatloaf. I'm not a big meatloaf fan, but I don't know. It was just the way she did it was great. And mashed potatoes, real potatoes, not the flakes in the box like you use in college when you're trying to figure out how to cook, right? I wish, I wish we'd had iPhones back then because the first time I ever tried to cook rice, it looked like a scene from I Love Lucy. And I wish I could have taken a picture and texted that home. If it was spring, maybe a fruit pie, peach pie in the summertime, pecan pies in the fall. If I gave her some time, she might even whip up her chocolate fudge cake, which I loved, or banana pudding. Again, I wasn't a big fan of banana pudding, but for some reason, my mom could get it just right. We lived in a small, modest house. I never even changed bedrooms before I was 18 years old. And we only had two bedrooms, that's why. <laughs> but I love that little house. We ate most meals around the kitchen table, but if company was coming, my aunts or my uncles, my cousins, maybe it was Thanksgiving or Christmas or Easter, then we got to eat in the big table in the big living room. My mother would pull out all the good dishes and the fancy glasses, not the gas station glasses you used to get. The one from S&H Green Stamps. You remember this, right? <laughs> She'd get out the good dishes, the tablecloth, the cloth napkins, placemats, and I would get excited because I knew we were going to have something really good to eat. So why? Why, when I came home, did my mother cook special things for me? Why did I, my mother go to all that hard work and extra cost when I came home? Why, if I went to any one of my aunt's houses, they would have not hesitated to bring me in and cook for me? They did it because they loved me, and I was family. The Bible talks about, good, about food from beginning to end. In Genesis, Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden, a paradise of peace and abundant provision, all they needed. But they lose faith in God's provision. They get to thinking maybe they have to go their own way. And so they're cast out and now have to work and toil for their food. It's interesting that at the end of the Bible, it's also about food. In Revelation, God's restoration of all things ends with the marriage supper of the Lamb of God. The new Jerusalem comes down, and there's the reappearance after all this time of the tree of life from the Garden of Eden. The garden is restored. Death and decay 
and suffering are no more, and so we feast. There's Jesus who eats with that cheater, Zacchaeus. Why? Why would he eat with such a bad person? Maybe because he loved Zacchaeus. There's Jesus who feeds the 5,000 until they're so full they can't eat another crumb. And why? Maybe because it says Jesus had compassion on them because they were like lost sheep without a shepherd. Jesus uses food over and over to talk about the kingdom of God. He tells parables like the prodigal son, the prodigal who comes back home not expecting it to be home, just hungry and gets a feast instead, even though he knows he doesn't deserve it. You have Jesus who is resurrected from the dead. Can you imagine that event? Jesus in front of you, and he says, do you have anything to eat? What is that about? Oh, they get it. He still loves us. And he leaves us with a holy meal, the Lord's Supper, to remember him and, and to ask for his mercy, forgiveness, and love. Tim Keller says about the resurrection, we will not float through the air like spirits, but rather we will eat, embrace, sing, laugh, and dance in the kingdom of God. Taste and see that the Lord is good, the Bible says. Taste the sweetness of his mercy. I could easily cite 20 or 30 or more other scriptures where the kingdom of heaven is likened to a great feast. Now, is that literal? Is it metaphoric? I'm kind of hoping it's both. Hmm. Maybe, maybe if you had to come up with an easily understood way that everybody would get of assuring that you are really loved and that you have a home to go to, this might be the way to do it. A way of expressing the great joy that waits for us. Not fleeting happiness, but deep and profound joy. The joy of the Lord is your salvation. I don't know that I ever understood that until recently. My mom and dad have long since passed away. This year, my, my last aunt passed away. The last one of that whole generation of family that I love so much is gone. Sometimes I miss them so much, it just physically hurts. When I left home at 18 years old, I embraced a fairly vagabond life. Brenda and I have lived in so many different places. And I will confess that no matter how lovely the home, how wonderful the church, how nice the community, I've never been able to completely shake the feeling of being a little homeless. As if there were a little hole in my heart that no house or town or church can completely fill. Every once in a while, I just wish I could go home but I can't. It doesn't exist anymore. We sold the house years ago, but even if we'd have kept it, it would have become just a house, not a home. A house is shingles and boards, but a home is where they invite you in and cook for you. Like Adam and Eve, maybe we're just all a little bit east of Eden, still looking for our true home. Maybe that explains so many things. We're all looking for our true home, but never quite finding it. Maybe that new car, maybe that new town, 
maybe that marriage, maybe that other job will fill that hole in our hearts, but nothing quite does. And all of these things can blind us or distract us from understanding that there is a true home that we can go to. But if I'm not careful, I'll miss it. I'll not see it. I'll be too distracted. Finding our true home takes absolute honesty on our part. I can't be saved if in my heart of hearts I really don't think I need saving very much. I can't be found until I realize that there's a part of me that is really lost. I can't be healed until I embrace the reality of those places that still feel broken. I can't be filled unless I confess my spiritual hunger. Come to think of it, the more I think about it, if you hate people, Christianity might be exactly the right religion for you. Because Christ died even for you. And even you have a true home waiting for you. A feast prepared for you. Whatever anger, whatever bitterness, whatever rejection, whatever holes in your heart that you might have, there is a place prepared for you. Come on in. Dinner's ready. Smell the brisket. Pass the peas. So on this All Saints Sunday, I say to you, Father God, thank you for all the saints you've blessed me with. Not just my family, but everyone along this vagabond way that has loved me, taught me, guided me, blessed me. Thank you, Father God, that though I miss it, everyone I will trust that there will be together once again the great feast of the kingdom of God as you have promised thank you father God for sending your son who has made even me a part of your family thanks be to God amen